I was so afraid of failing because I'd already failed for those first years and something that everyone thought I was going to be a professional at. I was too afraid to take those steps and do something new and try something and fail again. Mm -hmm. So uh, that closed definitely my childhood and my 20s. Like it chose the whole chapter and I'm finally being able to start anew, reinvent myself, maybe just learn and grow. I'm finally able to grow. Let's just say This is Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello and welcome to the 27th episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the challenges and the rewards that come from following it. This week, I have with me Paul Marlowe. Paul is an entrepreneur who has taken his own life experiences and the challenges and difficulties that he's encountered, and he's created solutions of things that he might have found helpful along the way when he was going through his own healing journey. Also known as Tall Paul, he has developed a clothing line which accommodates an issues that he's encountered when he's been clothes shopping. And also he experienced a serious bout of depression after his father died and a terrible breakup. And because of that, he was inspired to create a community called Never Alone Co., which is like a central hub for resources about everything about mental health, really. There's a place for people to share their own stories or simple things like, how do you find a therapist if you don't even know where to begin? So I really enjoy this conversation with Paul. He shares a lot of his experience and what worked for him and what didn't work for him, and even his journey with MDMA therapy, which is an exciting and compelling topic altogether. And so let's just get right into it. Here's Paul. Hi, Whitney. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I, I don't like the holiday season. So. Uh, I don't either. We can talk about that. <laughs> we can, I can, I can, we can have the whole conversation on this one because it only started happening after my dad died. So we right. can talk about that if you want. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, anywhere this heads, we got conversation. Totally. Yeah. How was your dive into the cold water? Oh, it was good. I love it. See, I need that. Like it is actually, this will dive into <laughs> my stress in the uh, winter time and ways I go to uh, address it and help myself feel more comfortable when anxiety hits. To kick things off, just ask one question and then it's organic from there. My podcast is about following your authentic voice and your inner voice. And mm -hmm. so... When was the first time that you realized that you had an inner voice and it wasn't influenced by someone else? It wasn't influenced by your parents or your environment, but you recognized that it was specifically you? Oh, Whitney, that's a fantastic question. Um, well, I definitely have two answers. I believe I noticed my inner voice when I was a young child at like six or seven because I would always... <laughs> come in confrontational with people due to my thoughts mm -hmm. um so that's definitely where I first noticed it but when I first started addressing it and learning from it and accepting it and thinking about how it could help me by understanding minor voice and really like gaining knowledge and insight to who I am was like 32 years old so right <laughs> there's a difference between when I first recognized it and when I first did something positive with it 
Right. So there's a journey within there, which <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure we can get to um, because you yes. have a very uh, rich and eclectic background um, in your life experience, I believe. Um, and so where did that begin for you, where you started using your inner voice as a guide? Um, it started, I started using my inner voice as a guide at pretty much the lowest point of my life. Um, after, uh, I, you're right, I did have quite the growing up background due to my athletic ability, due to my height, skill, uh, whatever you may call it, looks and everything evolved. Um, but where I really started listening to who I was, accepting who I am and not being afraid of showing people the real me was after a very hard time, after a rough breakup, uh, that uh, led to me getting PTSD symptoms and anxiety due to certain things that happened in that breakup for the last like 10 months of it. And then also at the same time, my father getting Parkinson's disease. And then after a year passing away and watching him completely uh, go from a normal human being to uh, like a small percentile of a person not recognize me and not be able to stand mm -hmm. up, not be able to do anything within like 10 months. Uh, from normal to that in 10 months and uh, at this point I was like I had always known I had someone there inside me I know I had me my authentic voice mm -hmm. but I was too afraid to listen to it because I thought it would make me weak right and at that point I was like this is the weakest lowest point of my life <laughs> me accepting that and talking about it and doing something to listen to it and hopefully grow can't be worse than how I'm feeling right now. So let's give it a shot. Right. So you were you were close with your father. Yeah, that's the weird thing. Like, yeah, I was. I didn't think I was, but I definitely was. Growing up, he was like my coach. Uh, he was my best friend. He played catch with me in the backyard. He worked on my pitching. I was a baseball player. Um, I got drafted by the Blue Jays out of high school in the major leagues. I didn't sign. But like he was my basketball coach and he like flew down to Kansas City to watch me play in the Nationals for basketball. Then he flew over there and he like drove to three different practices when I was like 12 years old. So he spent like three hours of his day driving while still carrying a job. Uh, and at those times, like in my first 30 years, I didn't recognize how much he put into me. Yeah. Um, so it was after then I finally after he finally passed and I'm like, oh, shoot, he did so much for me. Uh, so that is, I think, what really affected me. So when did you transition from your identity as an athlete into where you are now as more of an entrepreneur? That exact same time where I was like, listen right. to the person if it was inside me. Really, this this period of my life was obviously the worst period of my life so far in my 36 years of being alive. Um, it was the worst two years I've ever experienced. Um, of course, I'd never want to. And if I had a choice again, I wouldn't want to experience it because I lost my dad. Right. Um, but the silver lining is it allowed me to put down the walls that were holding me back. It allowed me to self-assess assess who I am um, and what I thought of the world and what I allowed people to think of me or what I thought people thought of me. So at that point, before that happened, like when I was 27, yeah, I still was an athlete. I was a personal trainer at the time still. Mm -hmm. Uh, and running a failing business and living paycheck to paycheck um, and not accepting and not, you know, really being the true me. I was too afraid of what people thought of me because I was an athlete in my mind. 
Um, so that, that time of my life, like my lowest time really has helped me to become a better person um, through the trials and tribulations of what happened after it. Yeah. Do you feel that losing your father was perhaps also closing the chapter of you being an athlete in a way and that identity? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, so I, I won't, I don't want to say athlete because I still definitely call myself an athlete. Right. Um, I still work out six days a week. I just competed in a rowing competition a while ago. So like I am a different athlete than when I was playing big sports and doing that, but I still like being an athlete because that helps me mentally become, mm -hmm. feel confident in who I am still. I still use that as a guide for myself, but it definitely closed a chapter on me fearing what people thought of me and fearing um, and being afraid to lose because of an athlete. The thing being my athletics was I got afraid. It turned out that I failed in athletics because I wasn't, didn't make the big leagues, didn't make a million dollars, didn't make this my lifestyle. And that to me was a failure. So that was 28 years of working at something and I failed. And for those next like, or 21 years. So the next seven years when I wasn't an quote unquote athlete, I was a personal trainer, just trying to get by, live day to day. I was so afraid of failing because I'd already failed for those first years and something that everyone thought I was going to be a professional at. I was too afraid to take those steps and do something new and try something and fail again. Mm -hmm. So uh, that closed definitely my childhood and my 20s. Like it closed the whole chapter and I'm finally being able to start anew, reinvent myself, maybe just learn and grow. I'm finally able to grow. Let's just say yeah. that. Yeah. So your part of your branding, I feel like now is like embracing your height. So is that <laughs> something that you had to find a way to come into also? Yeah. Like people think tall guys got it all and tall females and tall, whatever gender you associate yourself with. And don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, you are the alpha. There's times where it's the most amazing thing because it does help. Like we do judge a book by its cover at times. And like, I will get, you know, like you can get accepted into this thing because you're taller in your looks. So you can do that because you're taller. But at the same time, it's an awkward thing at times. Like, I, I don't want to always stand out. Uh, when I walk into a restaurant, I don't want 30 people to go and look at me sometimes. Right. And like that happens. And I'm only six, seven. Like, imagine being like six, 10, six, 11, seven feet tall. Um, and I am, let's say, lucky due to my athletic background and everything. Like, I'm proportionate, I'm fit, I work out, I do play the sports people expect me to play. Um, and if there's someone like me who doesn't play sports, they're skinny, gangly, not an athlete, and they don't associate with anything being tall, then it is a mental stress on our life. Mm -hmm. It is a very big mental stress on our life. And then also for like shopping and living and going to find things that fit you and make you feel comfortable as a human and make you feel like you look good and have confidence. There are a lot of things that come in our way day to day that become a huge mental strife and they were for me growing up I had a lot of anxiety buying clothes yeah so yeah yeah so you're taking that and turning it into something uh to, you're taking your poison and turning it into a medicine so to speak yeah definitely definitely on multiple areas as in with yeah. never alone um showing the confidence that someone can have but also my side project which is the tall man's fashion thing so right. they're, they're both yeah. falling into it 
So, so also, I, I kind of want to make this connection. So you said that you had a horrible breakup, and then mm-hmm. your your father died, like in a very close proximity of time. And so being tall and like having to go out into society, feeling in this way, like you can't really hide. Oh yeah, yeah. So here we go. Like the with my ex, uh, loved her, still love her. We talk now. Um, she has uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder. Uh, she told me this when we started. Um, there's nothing wrong on it. She didn't do anything wrong. But when we broke up, it triggered. That's when things happened and went wrong. And I don't like saying took the brunt of it, but I was the first person in the pain that she was feeling. Um, so essentially it led to me over 10 months of doing with this, not knowing what to do. I wasn't professionally you know I, I didn't have the background to understand how to help her and help, help myself but I ended up with PTSD symptoms like three therapists said like you were checked off for everything mm-hmm. um, high blood pressure phone calls would go off I start getting fidgety my heart rate would go up uh, but one of those things was like I couldn't walk down the street for like six months <laughs> not every day but it was consistently and feel comfortable walking on the street because people would look at me and I wouldn't want to look anyone in the eye and I'd be looking down the corner of the corner building wall as I'd walk just waiting counting off the blocks till I got home till I could hide inside my place yeah um now if I was like five foot five yeah it would be a lot easier to hide and not have to worry about that situation but because I stood out so much and had these things I was just like oh I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to, you know, answer how tall I am and stuff right. like that. Like I was in such a bad place. I was like, mm-hmm. I just want to get home because I can't stand being around these people. And I'm just, my heart rate's going and I can't look people in the eye and I had all these symptoms flashing back. Like, yeah, it, it definitely came into play. Yeah. It seems like an added layer on top of everything that mm-hmm. was already happening. What was the moment? Do you have a moment that everything kind of clicked and turned around for you? within this depression where you decided to use it as a fuel to your next phase in life? It definitely was, there's two moments. I don't remember the first one exactly, but I do remember waking up one morning and like, I can't keep waking up and going back to bed. Um, I've been depressed and sad. I haven't felt joy for like two months. This can't keep happening. I have to start doing something to better myself. Um, And that was, picking up a morning routine, doing something. If I fail, that's fine. Cause I try again tomorrow because I'm 30 at the time and I don't want to be doing this at 50. So if I waste, not waste, but invest a year into bettering myself, but not doing what I want, it's still a year better than I was today. That was my thought on that. But really where the change came is when I did my MDMA therapy, which helped my PTSD and anxiety and just general outlook on life. And that was definitely the biggest turning point that um, gave me the confidence to uh, face my fears and to accept failing as a positive way in life. Yeah, I would love to talk about that more. Um, how was that introduced to you and the whole process? I would, yeah, yeah that's a long process in itself. <laughs> um, Whatever you feel like sharing. <laughs> to boil it down, uh, I think it was coming up to it was coming just before my dad's second birthday after him passing. So I dealt with the first one. And when I dealt with the first one, I noticed like two weeks before his birthday, I started getting depressed again. And throughout the whole two weeks, I was. Um, the week after I was depressed and I couldn't get out of the funk, I felt great for a week. 
I, I think what happened after that, then it was my birthday after that. And I felt depressed again, but two weeks before my birthday, cause I couldn't celebrate with him, had another week. And then it was like his passing after that. So it was like another two weeks. And then after that, so I had this month and a half, eight week window of like, oh my God, this was the worst time of my life last year compared to the worst time of my life the year before. And I don't want it to be another worst time in my life and keep happening like every year, like this could keep happening every year. I could have these things reoccurring. I'm like, I need to help myself. Everything I'm doing is helping, working out, morning routines, journaling, therapy, but it's not like taking me to that over that next step, that edge, like I got this. I was like, I'm good, but I don't have this because these things keep happening in my day-to-day at times. So I went to my therapist and said, um, I think I'm going to take, um, go to the doctor and get some pills, get prescribed some um sorry, antidepressant, get, get some pharmaceutical drugs to help with my depression. Like, I never thought I would do this. I'm not against it. I just never thought this would be part of my life, but I need to do something. I think this is the next step. Uh, she said, okay, I agree with you. I went to my social media because that's what I do. I talk on my Instagram stories <laughs> as my second therapist. And at that time, that's when Never Alone was starting. And then people were like, you know, listening to my story and helping themselves. And they were getting inspired by me and I was getting inspired by them. So I put it out there. This is my next step. I'm going there now. And someone like reply back, have you tried MDMA therapy? I'm like, no, I haven't tried it. I've heard about it. And they're like, I live in Vancouver and I know a therapist that does it. I can connect you. I'm like, okay, send me the email. Long story short, reply back. I met up with a therapist. Um, after an initial session, just of normal therapy, they're like, you definitely need help. <laughs> There's some stuff going on here and we need to just fix it. Um, and uh, then they said, here we go. This is the plan. This is what we were going to do. And essentially it was nine therapy sessions of regular therapy prior to that uh, MDMA therapy and then one MDMA therapy session. So that'll be nine one hour therapy sessions over a two month period. And then one six hour MDMA therapy session. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the time frame of it because the drug is in you for quite a while. Right. Um, it's also the time frame to talk through things. And I'm sure there's... There's not a lot of scientific study because it's not legal, right, but there was yeah. enough stuff in the 70s where they did a bunch of stuff and they kind of really got the basis down on these things. So, um, yeah, uh, the total cost for me was around, well, it was like 120 bucks per therapy session. And that was nine of them. And I think it was around 225, I think it was around 3,500 Canadian dollars, so three grand American for the full thing. Um, but it was, I didn't have the money. I was $50,000 in debt. But I'm like, if I don't pay for this and I can't invest in myself, right. then if I wasted all that 50000 on booze, drinking and partying for five years, how can I not put this three grand on myself and make up for it later on? And uh, yeah, I did it. The therapy sessions were so my therapist could understand who I was and get comfortable with me and I could get comfortable with her and understand her. And then we could figure out what we were going to talk about in this potential MDMA therapy session. And uh, then we had the day and yeah, it was like, you literally, I don't know if you've done MDMA, but you like pop a pill, you sit there and wait, it starts kicking in. And instead of like when you're partying and you take MDMA, which I've done in the past, um, you have booze, you have music, you have like girls or guys, you have all these other things like really touching you and reacting to you, which is great on MDMA. You're super happy. You're like, I love all these things. And there's so many, so many engaging points. But when you're doing MDMA therapy, there's 
no booze. There's no other people. Mm-hmm. It's just you and one other person. Right. No distractions. Yeah. No distractions. So your mind can really focus on what's going on. Maybe some light music, depending on you and the therapist. But uh, yeah. And then it was like six hours of talking, like you're on MDMA and high, like you're willing to talk about anything when you're taking MDMA uh, positively. Like you're really, it takes away all those walls that make you feel uncomfortable having that little conversation. Um, as in like, maybe if you like someone and you're too shy to say it when you're on MDMA, you're 100% gonna say it. You're like, oh, I love this person, this feels so good. Or if you have this little kink or you have these things that you were ashamed of or feared of, or you thought someone would make fun of you, it's a lot easier to talk about on that drug. So uh, that was my time. And the funny thing is I didn't talk about my dad and I didn't talk about my ex. I probably talked about like 10 minutes on them. Wow. But it was really talking about like me growing up as a child when I was like five and seven. Uh And all these things that happened in my life as I was tall in elementary school and sports. And I realized that was a lot of stuff that was holding me back as a human and personal growth. And I was afraid of doing that again, or I was afraid of people hearing about it. And um, from that day, it helped me be more open to these things, like talking to you, talking about the situation, I wouldn't have done before my MDMA therapy. I wouldn't have admitted to these things. Right. Um, Because I've been fearful of someone out there listening here would be make fun of me and they show up on my Instagram, they leave me a message or something. Like, nah, I I got no worry. Like if I can inspire someone, great. If someone's going to shun me, that's fine. I can't impress and have 6 billion people like me. Yeah. I can't change 6 billion lives. All I can do is work on mine. So yeah, yeah, it was a really, it was a really good thing. It's it a really seemed, good thing for me. Yeah, it seems like um, it opened up things that were bothering you on a very subconscious level that would probably would have taken years and years and years of therapy in a regular Definitely. situation to uncover. So that's pretty Definitely. powerful. Yeah. You know, like that's that's a thing. That's I don't know if you've heard maps and a bunch of people mm-hmm. are trying yeah. to push it. Yeah. Um, and they are, and they're they're moving it ahead, which is amazing. Um, but that is a thing. It is the ability to do one session for the price of like 20, 30, hundred, depending who you are and how deep you get into it. Like it's can be life-changing for that one six hour time instead of spending six years. Well, yeah, well, time, time is, is money in so many ways too. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely. Yeah. I'm, I'm in a master's program for psychology right now too. So a lot of my okay. colleague fellow students are really interested in <laughs> maps and all of them. So I really hope, it seems like there's hope for that to become more legal in the future. And I, I hope that is the case. I do. I agree. I agree. Well, I'm up here in Canada and I know we're kind of the same, but at the same time, uh, we're a bit more forward thinking. I believe maps is actually out of UBC, which is, mm-hmm. the, yeah. Um, and they're moving ahead with a new company that started everything up here. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's really interesting. Um, however, my story isn't helpful to them because I did it with a therapist and it wasn't legal at the time. So <laughs> as I've been told multiple times, we like what you're doing, but we can't do anything about it because <laughs> this doesn't help us with the government. We can't replicate it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we can't talk about it. We need legal, we need legal conversations about MDMA therapy. Okay, so so then you're now having this company, which probably mm-hmm. sprang out of that moment for you. Is that how that totally? I, I didn't know what it was. Definitely, definitely. Like I said, my fear of failure before. What it would do to me in the past is I'd have an idea that I thought was good. I would either ruminate on it for the next like 24 hours to like five days, and then talk myself out of it, or I would start it. And when when any hurdle came. I would like push against the hurdle, 
if I didn't know what to do already, I wouldn't move past that hurdle. I wouldn't take time to learn anything and try to take the steps to beat it. I would just let it stop me. And then I'd go back to what I was comfortable with. Um, and that was like work life. That was everything, relationships, anything. I was just too afraid to find that new thing and to grow. So um, the MDMA therapy helped me attack that first hurdle. It allowed me to attack that first and be like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but let's see if I can figure it out. See if I can Google it and YouTube it and figure it out. So really it was with uh, the Never Alone. I was fully just on my social media and Instagram. I'm like, let's take this on to the web and start a website where hopefully I can help people by blogging and doing these things and giving them access to insight that I've learned. And that's really what it was. And that was 18 months ago. 20 months ago now I launched it uh started COVID so like May 2020 um what a time yeah and it was yeah. a it was a yeah it was a clothing line at the time too with it I thought the clothing line wasn't going to help pay for it I was completely wrong and I didn't know how to do two separate things at once because clothing line is completely different sales than online help um so I uh learning by that failure I completely cut off the line eight months ago after and went solely just text on page blogging putting out content that i think people need to hear and see and can learn from and uh, it's grown from there um yeah but yeah never long would have happened without that that's for damn sure yeah so how long ago was your mdma therapy session 2019 i think yeah okay and so yeah. how, how have you taken that experience and implemented what you got from that session into your life now that you're able to maintain this container of awareness for people to deal with their anxiety and depression and that's an interesting one like it definitely here we go yeah it was a very obviously mdma was much more it was a big bang of therapy a lot of help in one small dose right but there's no way that fixed me or healed me completely and changed me as a person to like to a level that I can't get better. So it was very informative, helped me, helpful for me for the first, let's say three, six, nine months of my life. And I still really felt the positive effects. Um, I'd go out in public, you know, by myself, I'd sit at a pub by myself and eat dinner. All these things that would make me fearful before weren't so fearful. Now I'm like two years down the road, I've able to grow and learn these new things at that time and after, because I was able to teach myself new things and like learn that it took like two months to get something until I felt comfortable. And then I would add on the next two months, find something else new and then add on the next month, find something else new. And I was like, I was learning to not take too much at once and kind of overwhelming myself. It was small growth, small growth. And that was what helped me get to where I am now. However, though, like I don't, I don't feel those same effects anymore. Like there's MDMA therapy, you do it. And then like they say, I've heard you, it's a multiple thing. So like coming back every two or three years is something that I think that is possible. Um, I actually, to be honest with you, I feel like I need another journey is what you could call it. Um, I feel very good. I don't have the depression that I had in those two years prior to it. Um, I still was a bit depressed after it, but I was felt confident that I could get over it because of the therapy that helped me. And I felt more confident in my ability and skills. And I knew if in time I was able to practice things, then I would feel better day by day. Uh, but um, I'm at a point now where it's like, never alone's grown. All these things are growing. I'm feeling very confident. 
I don't get weekly, monthly depression anymore, but I'm like, I need to grow still. There's a lot more things that I need to address in my childhood, my youth that I know are holding me back. And since they're holding me back, they're holding Never Alone back. And since they're holding them back, they're holding back people like you who are trying to get things out of Never Alone. And I'm not giving them, I'm not making them and I'm not creating them, which then comes back around to me being like, I'm failing and I want to succeed in this. So <laughs> long story short, I messaged my therapist like four weeks ago and uh, luckily she has time and we're going to do a psychedelic uh, magic mushroom journey in uh, February, which is kind of around the same lines. I don't know. I've never done it before, but it's another thing. Probably talk about my past, probably talk about my future, what I want to do. Um, but this is more of a therapy session for growth in a good area. I'm not down. I'm not depressed. I'm not doing this to try to get out of a hole. I'm in a good space. I'm trying to, you know, get to a level of life that I'd never thought I could get to. Yeah. Well, well, even if you do have depressing moments now, you're probably coming at it with a totally different awareness and that you're able to get out of it. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. You nailed it. Um, and a lot of that comes from, I know it's hard for people because we don't want to think we're depressed when we're not. And that's fine. When you're not depressed, you don't want to think about those bad days. Cause you're like, screw it. Like feel good. I don't want to touch those. I don't want to deal with those, but understanding those are the days when you have to start working. When it does come back, you can then be like, I'm ready to take this on. Like on those days you feel good. That's when you go to the gym for sure. And you eat well and you do more journaling and you do more meditation. Because it's easier to attack that with a positive mindset mm -hmm. and fail and try it again and fail and try it again until you've made a routine. It's much harder to make a routine when you're in a shitty mood. You're like, screw this. I just want to go to bed and cry. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, I'll be honest with you. I've had the last three days I had my holiday depression, which I didn't think was going to show up this year. Um, ever since my dad passed, the first Christmas was like December 1st of January. December 1st to December 27th was a complete write-off. Nothing. Like I felt fine two weeks before December 1st hit, depressed, anxiety, laying in bed, not doing any work, not getting anything done. I just couldn't do it. I just had all these mental roadblocks. I would just look at my computer and I would just put it away. Um, the second year, it was the exact same thing bad. I drank more than I did the first one to cope with it. I drank a lot. Uh, but once again, December 27th hit, I was right as rain. And I felt great. I'm like, okay, let's take on the end of the year. Uh, last year, it uh, showed up, but I was able to address it better. I was able to work around it. Um, I found out if I worked more than four hours, I felt burnt out. But I was still able to do four hours of work most of the time. Uh, and this year, like since January, like I've been in a good mood. I can't remember any depressive bouts. No anxiety, never alone's grown to this thing I never thought it would be. I started Tall Paul, like my men's fashion blog. Um, everything is on the up and up. And I'm like, oh, it's not gonna show up at all this year. And December 11th, <laughs> like <laughs> went to the gym and I was just like, some panic hit me during the workout. And I pushed through it. And then after that, on the walk home, I'm like, oh, I, I've got anxiety, I'm depressed, what is this? I was doing the whole looking down at the wall, not staring at people. I'm feeling in a funk. I'm like, I haven't felt this funk in a year. And uh, I've had it for the last three days now. But 
the last two days I've gone to the gym, I push myself in the gym, which makes me feel good after I push myself because it proves to me that I can overcome something that is making me feel uncomfortable at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, Sunday, I went to the ocean. I did a cold dip, which I've been doing since last year. Um, during the winter months, every Sunday, I go down with a bunch of guys and we go hop in the Pacific Ocean and we sit there for 10 minutes. Um, this past week, it was five degrees Celsius in the water and like wow. two degrees Celsius out. So like 32 for y'all. That's what it was. Um, and it is, for me, it mimics anxiety that I feel when I'm out and about. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's like water's up to your neck and you're like, get the hell out of here. What are you doing? And for me, like, I feel the pushing in my brain and everything's right. firing and it's like, stop, 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 stop. But being able to stay in there for those 10 minutes and finish off those last eight after the real pain happens in the first two um, is a small win for me. And it shows me I can push through the anxiety. If it does show up, I can address it. I don't have to run away and be afraid of it. Right. Yeah. Um, also, I can accept it. Like it is going to happen. I can't like there's no way I'm not gonna have any more anxiety in my life and it's gonna happen. So let it feel like this and let it go. But you know what? I can do things to make myself feel better and at least lessen it a bit. Right. Um, and not have your mind control you so much. Yeah, definitely. That's it for sure. Um, so yeah, no, just to be honest with you, talking with you, I feel a lot better. Um, if I <laughs> if we had to do this podcast two days ago, you'd have a much different conversation with me. <laughs> yeah. Much different. Um, but I, I think like allowing yourself to feel depressed too and allowing the awareness of, okay, this is how I am right now and I'm going to allow myself to be this is probably different than what you experienced in the past too. Definitely. Because it really you, is. It yeah, really is. Um, you have tools to help you um, navigate it now. Yeah, more so than you used to maybe and acceptance is going to be there like acceptance like if today's a write-off screw it it's a write-off mm -hmm. I got tomorrow uh, and I think that is the teachings of my tools of learning as a day-to-day -day thing it's not a I'm going to fix it today so tomorrow I'm 100% um, which I think a lot of people are looking for that quick fix looking mm -hmm. for that one thing to get you out of the hole no matter if it be anxiety depression or fitness or dieting or eating or you name it, liposuction, like they're looking for that one instead of a base that they can build off and grow off of. Yeah. And I also think um, we kind of need these moments for contrast, because if we don't have the moments of down, we can't see the moments of high as much, right? Totally. No. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Even if you can't see them, like accept them and okay. like I had moments of down in the past but I was just too cocky and too egotistic and had my walls up that I wouldn't allow myself to recognize there were down moments I would say there's someone else's moments that made me feel like this it wasn't because of me I'd be mm -hmm. pushing it and neglecting it and deflecting it so uh yeah but the like the real down moment made me kind of like push that wall aside and like really feel it and take it in so uh, there's different levels of down for sure. And I need, I needed my lowest moment to make all those other ones, those walls, uh, at least open up a little bit. Yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone who would maybe need tools like preventatively? Yeah. Start when you're good, which is the hardest place to start. <laughs> um, but really that that's the biggest, the biggest tool. 
solid like yeah understand that on your good days is when you want to start prepping for your bad days so right now if you are in a depressed state or anxiety filled stay state um accept it say you know what if i'm here listening to this and i don't feel like doing anything that's cool don't do anything today but set yourself up tomorrow so like write in your journal tonight or set a note for yourself that you're going to start a morning routine tomorrow or you're going to start just journaling tomorrow you're going to do one small thing in the morning when you wake up that if you keep up for six months will probably make you feel better you know it might not you don't know but the thing is you don't know until you try you can't shit can it until you try it because you don't know what it's going to actually do for you so start that one small thing go to the gym work out walk journal pick up a headspace meditation app and use that um go to the coffee shop instead of sitting inside your house whatever it is that's making you kind of push yourself to, you know i might be better if i keep this up try that and then on the days when you can do it and days you feel good and you're not depressed then push yourself more do it like two times or add three things in or really go for it and push it to see what you can do in that time of happiness and positivity because once that funk kicks in, then you'll be like, okay, I've done this before. I have these four tools, but you know what? Today, I'm just going to use one of them. Great. Thank you for that. And would you like to share how Never Alone can help as the community that you're building, how it could help people who might be interested? Yeah. Uh, how, I'm, how I look at Never Alone is really one of the first mental health help brands. Um, like Gymshark is a brand and it's helping people be positive about being fit by wearing good clothes, but they're also giving motivational social media videos and informational blogs and YouTube videos. Um, I think a big stigma around mental health is that the stigma of advocates and companies and stuff like that is they feel they can't make money or they can't make a piece that will look like they're trying to get someone's information an email or get their time on page or get them to follow them. Um, because it looks like a business. But the thing is, I feel people, humans like you and me connect more with businesses and brands than I would do with a nonprofit group, which mm -hmm. I check out a blog once every six months. Like I'm not gonna have the same emotional connection to a nonprofit group as a Gymshark. I'm gonna be a Gymshark daily looking at their stuff, inspired watching their athletes doing these things. And uh, never alone, that's my goal for never alone make it the mental health aspect of Gymshark, uh, whatever that may be 10 years down the road. But currently come to Never Alone. There's a lot of informational blogs that I have. Uh, I'm just putting out a big series on therapy, just on general therapy topics. So if someone is not sure how to start therapy or they want to know things to talk about once you're in therapy for the first time, or they don't know how to tell their parents that they wanna to go to therapy or need to, there's blogs on those. There's a blog on how to break up with your therapist because your therapy is just like any other professional. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't be ashamed or feel like you lost if you broke up with them, like you would your personal trainer, like you would anyone else. Like you need to find the one that works for you. Um, in that therapy sequence, I do have a bunch of information like talk therapy, just the general idea of what it is, online therapy, MDMA therapy groups. So there's a whole bunch of information there. Um, general basic stuff that I found helpful that I hope everyone else will be helpful. Um, I'm obviously not a therapist or a professional, but doesn't mean I can't tell you the simple things that I learned from it yeah. that might help you then talk to the professional. Mm -hmm. um, that meditation app reviews, 
a bunch of stuff there and a great email list with information every week popping up on little things you can do for your week and make you just a little thought provoking to help push you through this end of year and start of next year. Excellent. And I think you also have um, a community or a space for people to share their stories, um, yeah. which I think is incredible because the more intimate you get with your storytelling, the more people that you can connect with, which is a little, maybe doesn't make sense, but um, the more intimate no. you get with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely makes yeah. sense. And I would love for you to share your story if you want to go join <laughs> in and be on it. I'll make a cool drawing for you or get my oh, person okay. who does cool drawings. <laughs> <laughs> I don't draw them. Um, but yeah, no, there is, there's definitely the Neverlong stories where I think it's huge. Um, you know, just like you said, it is, is that more, it's more of that emotional connection. That is the area where it's really just, I think it really touches to a certain person if they can relate to it mm-hmm. and go through with it. And as you saw, there's a bunch of different topics on there. Yeah. Um, and situations that I, I, as a tall white male, can't talk about. And I don't have the information to talk about. And I'm not the right person to. So I'm super happy to have other people come on and bring that conversation up and have, yeah. that, have that space to talk about it. Yeah, which, which I think circles back to your whole idea of presenting this as a brand um, and connecting with people and authenticity in that way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm trying. I don't know anything I'm doing. I'm learning it day by day. So <laughs> it's good. You're you're teaching as you learn, which is kind of a sign of a healer. So I applaud you in that. Well, thank you so much, Whitney. Yeah. So I, I have, would really like yeah. you to have share your story if you want to. There's a space for you. Oh boy. <laughs> if you have time. My story. Okay. I'm I'm still trying to understand my story, but I guess that's the whole point, <laughs> right? <laughs> that is kind of a point. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm. and sharing all of your story with us. I have a question that I do ask to wrap things up. And right. the me. question is, if your inner voice had a billboard, what would it say to the world? Can I swear on here? Because sure. I, yeah, I would have a cuss word on it. Go ahead. Uh, fuck it. Just do it. That's really, that's literally what I say aloud to myself when I have something coming in front of me that I want to do. Nice. Um, and that uh, five-year-old to 25-year-old boy is still inside my head saying, no, you're going to fail. No, you don't know what you're doing now. And I'm just like, fuck it. Let's do it. And there I go. Perfect. Maybe we can start making t-shirts with all of these messages on them. <laughs> I'm kind of down for that. I, yes. As you can tell, Never Alone is not your normal uh, <laughs> mental health thing where I'm very safe and vanilla. So uh, I'd love to pair with you on this and have yeah. a Never Alone hoodie that says, fuck it, just do it. Yeah, we'll, we'll have a spinoff of your clothing line. Amazing. <laughs> I, I'd wear it. If you make the one that says that, I'll 100% wear it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Where can people find all of your content? You can find me on social media, uh, Twitter. Just start Redditing. It's cool, too. Uh, and uh, Instagram at Tall Paul's Life at tall paul's life because i am six seven so i am tall paul (laughs) um and then never alone you can find at www.weareneveralone.co um i don't have social channels for those just yet i don't have the business structure and plan and people to do it properly so social media wise i give you all the mental health insight i give you all the content through my own social media platforms and the big stuff is on the website at never alone Perfect. I will add all those things to the show notes so Thank people you. can click on them easily. All Thank right. You. 
Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time, stay tuned in to you.